your your official title I was seeing uh, on the uh, I think it was on somewhere on the internet is that is that you're the chief strategy officer of We Buy Cars. Now, just I just want to give you a little bit of background, if I may, before we go into the conversation. Twenty-one years ago, Dirk and his brother Fawn started a company called We Buy Cars. We Buy Cars is a I don't want to embarrass him, but I can tell you that Transaction Capital bought the first 50% of We Buy Cars for 1.8 billion rand. Then they bought the next 25% for 1.6 billion rand. So that's that's uh, that's in the public domain. But at the 1.6 billion, that means the business is worth six and a half, or was worth six and a half billion rand a year ago, 2021, and has improved since then. Any of you? can think of any entrepreneur who started from scratch and has built a business uh, with that kind of money, you know that you're talking about a serious, serious person. And the intention here, Dirk, is to find, to get, get into your head a little bit, talk a bit about your experiences, try and find, find some, some guidance, a little bit like what Peter van Ketz was telling us earlier of his experiences. But building a business in 21 years to the size of We Buy Cars today, uh, and the dominant force in the second-hand car market in South Africa, and and a reputable company as well in an area where there's a lot of, what we used to call them the Jewel Street operators in, in Johannesburg. It, it, it takes some doing. I, I guess the, the obvious question to start with is, why did you go into this area at all? What, uh, have you always had a fascination for cars? Alec, yeah, thank you. Um, I think the, sto the story has been told quite a few times. For, uh, why did we go into the motor vehicle trade? Farney, my brother Farney, he uh, bought and sold vehicles 22 uh, years ago while he was uh, still at school, buying bargains from out of the junk mail and Tory news. And um, it was a completely different world back then. People would advertise their vehicles in the local newspapers and sell, buy and sell vehicles to, to, between each other. So, so he started uh, bargain hunting, buying th those vehicles, and then he went to uh, Inkalpia College, and he continued doing that. Um, by the time, by the time he left college, he uh, he had a total, um, total, uh, accumulated capital of sixty-five thousand rand. And at that stage, I was still at Tikki's studying marketing and communication management. And um, that was part-time. Tik's now faith. We were studying at night. And during the day, I had a job at a place called Form Steeltronics. Small job. And uh, so I lost that job. And uh, Fani said to me, come work with me for the last two months before I uh, leave for the UK. And then we can see what happens. The very first month, I already earned twice what I earned at the previous business because the synergy between what, what we were doing just worked out very well. And uh, so Fani left for the UK, he and his wife, and, uh, and, and he surprised me. He said, listen, here's a little bit of cash. See if you can carry on. And for the next two years, I was on my own. And uh, during those two years, the market changed completely. And even until today, Fani has a hard time admitting that the market has changed a lot. 
But, 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 but um, maybe that's not fair to say that. But in any case, so during the two years that he was in the, the UK, things changed dramatically. You know, the, the, the queue at the junk mail for people buying, whether it's parrots or furniture or whatever, you must keep in mind we're there early in the morning while it's still dark. Every, you know, the queues uh, became very long. The, the competition increased. Lots of people were losing their jobs making packages, and every, everybody was trying to do what we do. So we urgently need to uh, change tactic. And that's when we started uh, advertising what, we, what we're doing. Okay, but, but what, uh, all right, I'll, maybe I can go back a little bit. Bronco spread. Mm. Now Bronco spread, uh, it, it's not a time that comes off the, the, the lips very easily. Do you know about the battle of Bronco spread? In the Boer War, where the Engelser uh, had, <laughs> it's in it's in the the uh, the book about the first Boer War. Uh, the, the 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 British pommy, Tommies were not allowed to change their sights until the officers told them to change their sights, and when they were marching, their sights were always raised for 500 meters, and the Boers, when they attacked in Bronkhorst the Battle of Broncos spread. They shot all the officers of the British, and the British, there was no officers to tell the troops to change their, their, uh, their aim, <laughs> their sights. And so it was a wipeout. It's a very interesting story in, in, in that book. And that's where you're from, Broncos spread. <laughs> so a lot of people come from small towns and have been very successful. Why do you think that is? I think, you know, it's the old saying, you know, like, like uh, you, you know, but, uh, they say um, uh, hard, uh, hard times uh, brings about uh, a better quality person and better quality persons brings about easy times. Easy times brings about lazy people and lazy people. Then you got, you know that story. So. Yeah. So Third generation. Yeah, so you know, we, we didn't have it all too easy. You know. What did your dad do? My, my, my dad, he was a civil, civil servant and so on. And uh, yeah, so we, we grew up with an intense uh, sort of um, aspiration to prove ourselves and to, 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 to make a better uh, life out there, which, which we did you know, eventually. Why, why it's so interesting if you have a look nowadays, many Afrikaners like yourself, have become hugely successful entrepreneurs. And yet, in the time up to 1994, uh, there were few. It was always the English-speaking South Africans who were the entrepreneurs that, that we look. Why do you think that is? What, what happened? <laughs> I think the uh, Afrikaners had a, a, a mindset of, of, of uh, fighting for security. Like, for, like for my, my father went into the as a civil service because he was told by his uh, uh, mentors that you have to go for security you have to have security you know so he went for that and uh, they they had a, a mindset of working for e either be becoming teachers and or, or, or starts deans you know that sort of thing and yeah it's I think it, it's still a very interesting question um, why there were so few African entrepreneurs and you've got two sons. Yeah, I do, yeah. What do you, what, how do you advise them? Um, 
<laughs> my, you know, the, the boys, they ask you, so, so what do you do? How do you make money and all that? And, and, and I, tell, I try, and, try and explain to them basically. And, and, and uh, it's, it's difficult f for, for us because we, we, we are in it the whole time. So it's really difficult for me to give you an objective perspective of what, what, what I do differently. But I think already they, 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 they know nothing else. That's all they do. They, that's all they, they, they've got no other example than just that. You know? um, I, think, I think what few people realize, and I think this is one of the most important things about the mindset of We Buy Cars and how we came into existence in the first place in, 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 the, in the beginning uh, days, was that um, we, we were absolutely uh, um, May I say, shit scared of debt because my, my father, my father struggled. He was always in debt, always. So for that reason, we just made a, a, a principal decision that we are never, ever, never, ever, never, ever going to go into any debt, which we never did. But this is an asset-rich business. You you had to buy a car, yeah. surely, and pay for it. Yeah. And you didn't go into debt. No, look, look. Initially, it, it was. Uh, it started. Farney started initially with a, a motorbike that he bought for something like. I can't remember the exact amount. We we we, we don't agree on the uh, amount. He says it was a thousand and something. I say the first one was four hundred grand. He sold it for something like. So we started very small. The, the amount that I've got in my mind is four hundred grand. He says it's one thousand four hundred grand that we started with. But it, it, it literally went organically from the one thing to the next. And Fani can tell you every single unit uh, uh, up until the point where it split into two units and then more and more and more. And that's how it started. So um, yeah, up, up until halfway through the lifetime of the business, we were still driving 1987 Toyota Corolla 1.6, you know? Wonderful car, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's the most popular that that your story. Just tell us a story about because clearly, if you guys started off buying one motorbike and selling selling it, and then buying a, a taking that and reinvesting, what was your your favourite uh, uh, watershed moment, if there was such a thing? Where uh, do you remember that far? I mean, do you remember back in those early days? Well, look, it's like more than twenty years ago. Uh, what you say, watershed moment in terms of buying cars? Just something that sticks in the memory. You know, sometimes it's the funny things that, that stick there. But if you're going, you're knocking on, you're going to see people's cars, I'm sure they weren't all always telling you the truth about what the car looked like, especially under the hood. Yeah, you know, you, you, you get a feel for that and, 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 and all that. that. That's not what I remember. I, if I were to tell you what I remember of visiting people at the... F firstly, I think it's a major privilege to you know to spend every single day not knowing who you're going to meet today because me and Fani for more than 13 14 years that was all we did every day you slung a bag of cash over the shoulder 80 100,000 rand over the shoulder uh, in a bag and off you go with your driver in your car and you go and buy people's cars and and you, you say that again come on you put a put a bag of cash yeah, yeah. over your shoulder yeah we did that you must keep in mind that we, we, we drive a different route every single day, and we often drive different cars. So we were not... Uh Did you take weapons with you? <laughs> no, we didn't. No, we didn't. 
But you were never hijacked? No, never. But we were quite, quite uh, careful, you know. But in any case, so every single day, it could be you or you or you that I would meet that day. And I would evaluate your car, um, go there, say hello, and, you know, walk around the car, maybe take the car for a test drive, speak to you about your car, talk to you about your car. In, in that respect, me and Farney, we are totally different. He's an absolutely task driven person and me I can't wait to get all of that out of the way so that I can ask you about your hobby and talk too much and buy two little cars because that's me but in the process I met stunning people and learned a hell of a lot made some friends and, 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 and all that but the one thing that I will never ever forget was an old gentleman who was bent over like this he was bent over like this and he was a happy chappy and all that but I could smell something's off. And he, he explained to me that he's got uh, tummy cancer. And uh, he told me, well, and, uh, I was taken with his sad story because he's, he's selling the car because he's, uh, he's, he's now um, terminal with, with, with cancer. And, and, and I felt so sorry for him. And he, in the, uh, as he was bent over, he said, ah, don't worry, don't you worry, it's almost over, it's nothing, you know? And that's the one side, you know. I think it was the same gentleman who said to me he doesn't buy ripe bananas because he uh, he doesn't buy green bananas because he doesn't know if he's going to see them uh, getting ripe, you know. So yeah, that was and um, why that is imp important because you also get the other the the the, the counter side. People are bitter, you know. You you buy, but. That's just all the interesting people, interesting stuff. There was the uh, lady, uh, two, two sisters who were selling their mother's car. The mother uh, was, um, uh, what's the right word? She was getting, a, 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 um, sh she wasn't thinking so clearly anymore. Dementia. Yeah, dementia of sorts. And the two daughters were selling her car. And they, they, they wanted me to buy the car and get away with the car before, because if she sees uh, that we buy the car, she's going to get very upset. So they made an arrangement with me that I would come the next morning and buy the car quickly when the mother is not. And as the luck would have it, the old lady in her, in her uh, bathrobe came around the corner as we were, she caught us red-handed selling her car, you know, to, to, to we buy cars. She came running and she fell on the bonnet and she grabbed the car by the, by the wipers, you know, she, she <laughs> one, one hand every wiper. And I remember so well that she, she, she shouted, you're not selling my car, you're not selling my car, you know, yeah, yeah. And they, the, the, both the daughters, they grabbed her and they threw me the keys and they said, go, go, go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you met a lot of people in very interesting circumstances. Um, how, how did, what did you learn there about, about, you know, nowadays it's it's the the latest thing is the con man. We watching, uh, we watched this thing called Inventing Anna on, uh, on Netflix, where there was this young girl who called herself a German heiress and got big banks to give her lots of money. So it's almost it's almost become popular to be a con man. Now, in this industry of yours, how, how do you spot these people? Is there any way that you can see if someone is genuine and, and honest um, with the experience you've had? And on the other side, perhaps not so. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's really a difficult thing. Uh, I see myself as someone who, who 
I take pride in the fact that I can read people very well. Uh, I can read people's body language very well. Now, how do you teach someone that? How do you tell someone that I can, I can, I can, you know? It's 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 the same. You you get into a habit of driving uh, in a conscientious way. You you and, and watching out if there's uh, suspicious activity around you. You stopping at a robot at night. You know, uh, it, it's just part of your. The, the same when you're buying cars and you you you. If, if you're absent-minded, if you're not, uh, uh, then maybe you, 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 you wouldn't see these things. But if, if, if you are mindful and you look carefully that all the normal stuff is there that should be there, you know, so you can distinguish a normal situation as opposed to... But, but this, just this very thing, is an extremely interesting question for me personally, and that is that how do you see what's not there. And, and, and to me, right now, in my, in my life, this is one of the most appealing questions or, or most important question that I tend to ask people is that, um, how do we know we are asking the right questions? Are you asking the right question? How do you, how do you see what's not there? People, people uh, tend to just go with the narrative, you know, whatever, you know. And that's why a question, the moment someone asks you a question, boom, it activates the whole narrative. And there you go. Yeah, the questions are, are if, you, if you're able to ask the right questions, you will get proper answers. But I guess many people are a bit scared of that. They don't want to offend the other person. And when you're buying a car from somebody, how do you do it in an inoffensive manner? Ask a question. You mean how do you ask the question to determine whether it's a scam or not? Yeah. You see, um, to me personally, from an insurance point of view, for instance, it's very interesting that uh, and I love to have these conversations with people who are knowledgeable about it. You know, if, if, if you know where someone works and you know what he does and you know where he stays, you don't realize it, but you know a hell of a lot about that person. If you are more or less familiar with that, that suburb, you know something about that job. The guy's an aviation engineer. He works on airplanes. That means that, that means automatically they are fastidious and they look after their car as well. And they stay in a suburb where the, the, the general person in, in that suburb is of a certain age, certain, most of them. You know, like a, a suburb has a certain characteristic. Most of the people are in a certain phase of their life in, in this suburb. So if you invert... Who, who are the people that you don't really want to buy cars from? Is it, uh, you know, who are the guys you know have hammered this vehicle uh, and, and would be... <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> no, it's difficult. Journalist Scary says, yeah. <laughs> have you ever bought a car from a journalist? Before? Yeah, yeah, I know you have. <laughs> no, it's too difficult to say. I, it's difficult to say. I, I've got another uh, question, quite a personal question from my perspective in... in this is the second startup I've had. And the first startup, the most difficult thing was not in the early days. That was great fun. It was really great. You had a tight team, lots of fun. But when you went from 
10 to 20 to 50 to 80, which was, that was the end of my days at MoneyWeb. But from your perspective, you guys have gone from you and Fan to thousands of employees. How do you take those steps along the way? What, what, what makes you successful and then so many other people really struggle with that, struggle with the, the growing of a business and, and employing new people and scaling up? It's, it's really a very difficult question to answer, and I was sort of afraid that you're going to ask me that question. <laughs> so you thought about it. Because uh, how do you explain that? The thing is, well, my, my grandfather used to say that a fish rots from the eye. And the thing is, you're, and this is, a, this is a, to me, this is my pet topic, so to say, and that is that... <coughs> um, um, if you care about people, they care back, you know? And so it's, 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 it's such a bloody stupid, simple thing. But how do you explain to people who is expecting some, some, some smart, uh, intellectual uh, story that it's all about caring, you know? Uh, it, you know, selling second-hand cars as second-hand car salespeople and telling people that you care, you know, that is maybe not so easy. But, <laughs> but the thing is, uh, yeah, there's a, and I can go on and on about that topic because the, uh, the, the, whole, the whole thing about scam artists, the whole thing about the whole narrative that the public has about what, what, how you must beware of this uh, second-hand car dealer scam and this and that and this and that. Uh, but, but those are all sort of embedded narratives. And um, so the trick is that, uh, yes, we can care for you, but you also have your responsibility on your side. So we both have a side to the story. Um, the same with your employee. Uh, and so, so without making, uh, without telling you a too long extended story, the fact of the matter is, we may be a bit different in that we really, really care within reasonable bounds. And if you keep, if, if if you really truly uh, uh, grow a company with that in mind, I, I caught myself saying to find just. Uh, uh, earlier on that um, you cannot plug people in, in like, US, like a USB and that in the company you, you cannot you cannot just go hire someone and plug them in and there they go you know but you guys have been growing at 60% a year I mean that's massive massive exponential growth I don't know if you're still doing 60% now but certainly for many for well over a decade you're doing 60% a year you can care about people, but you're going to make a mistake somewhere along the line. How do, you, how do you act when you know you've made a mistake in hiring, say? So, uh, are, you, are you asking what do you do when you know your appointment, appointment is not right? I think a lot of us have got businesses that we want to grow still further. Mm. And we, we're a bit nervous because if you, if you bring the wrong people on board because you're growing too quickly and you maybe not not giving yourself the time to to really know who you're bringing into the fold it 
can be very dangerous and can be every person that you employ is an ambassador for your business. And in your case, when you're growing at such rapid growth rates, how do you, get, how do you overcome that hurdle? Yeah, what you're saying now is my major, my, that's my biggest concern right now. You know, so because at a certain point when you you just simply grow too big to it's it's not the size that's a problem, it's it's the rate of growth. You know, because there's it's just so so much happening simultaneously um, that makes it a, a little bit a little bit difficult. But I can go on and on and on about a philosophy around recruitment. You know, I think I think recruitment in itself and the whole thinking around recruitment, the methodology and the way of how you recruit people, you must re really, really ask yourself if it's, if it's uh, rational, if it makes sense. I think, I think it's a, a Drucker who said that it's, it's, not, it's not about the right answers. And this is very important. It's not about the right answers. It's about are you asking the right question in the first place? Because if you've got the right question, then, then you're on the right track. The rest is... And it's the same with people. And this is, to, to me, this is so flippant astounding. I think one of the first questions you must ask yourself in business is, what am I working with? Are you working with a thing? Or are you working with a person? And if the answer is that you're working with a person, then maybe you should start acting like it. Mm. You know, it's funny how... In our industry, in, in media, you will trust a young person to not put you into bankruptcy. Because quite literally, if a, if a journalist lies uh, about a story and they say, no, no, I spoke to the source, there it is, double sourced, etc. That's the story. You, at some point in time, you have to trust them. And yet, those same people need to fill in expense claims. They need to tell you when they're going on leave. They, you, know, you treat them like children in one respect. But in another respect, you, you're giving them, trusting them with your business. And I'm sure in other industries, it's, it's similar. I told someone earlier in the week that you must just simply make time to speak to, regularly um, speak to your people a lot. Be with them. Speak to them a lot. Because when the company gets bigger and bigger... Then you don't spend time with them anymore. You know, you you, don't, you you just walk by and say hello, and that's it. And and that person, whereas in the past you spent a lot of time with them, you spend less and less and less time with them, and they are not so much part of the story anymore. You know, so at some stage you have to hand them over to the to the to the middle management level, but you have to teach your middle management to do what you used to do, and that is to spend time with them. But now the problem comes in. I've seen this. When you've, and this is, this is one of the most cr uh, important things, but it will take long to discuss it. It's uh, what they call ambidextrous leadership. Ambidextrous leadership is uh, the, the two sides of the brain. So uh, to, to make a very long s story simple, you've got task-oriented people, you've got people-oriented people. Problem with recruitment is if you put a task-oriented person on the people-oriented job, then you don't get the right results. But... <laughs> the same doesn't apply when you're, when, when you're recruiting engineers and accountants, for instance. You know, then you need the... the uh, you, you follow what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We, we have it in, in, in media again, where if someone's a really good journalist, there's a tendency to make them an editor at which they can be horrible. And, well, you know, 
newspaper editors are amongst the worst bosses in the world, but they were good journalists once. They should have stayed as task orientated. They're not hu uh, human people orientated. You see, in the in the in the motor uh, motor vehicle trade industry, you've got the same problem. The uh, people promote sales people to become sales managers, and it's a well-known fact for anybody that reads up on it that uh, good the best salespeople certainly don't make the best sales managers. It's two different things. And, and they are still, still struggling with that. How's that for you? I, I, it, it feels right. I, I, I remember um, Benjamin Zander, I met him once. I don't know if you guys remember or know Benjamin Zander, but he's a, he's a conductor. He was the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic and, uh, and an extraordinary, extraordinary person. And he used to give speeches to these groups of top executives in Davos, and he said to them, you must not be the lead violinist, you must be the conductor. And that's, that's quite a change in approach from somebody who's maybe worked their way up because they're the number one violin, and now they get put into a different position. How do you handle that within the organization? Because presumably, uh, how many people you got now? We've now surpassed 2,000. I'm not exactly sure where we are. Somewhere above 2,000, okay. 300. So there's a hierarchy. Mm. So the, the, the really good salesman doesn't want to be a salesman his whole life. He wants to move up the hierarchy. He wants to become the conductor, but maybe he actually should be staying playing the trombone. Is, how, do you, how do you play with that in your business? Because you can't be doing it wrong for the business to be growing the way it is. Um... At, at, at different levels, <laughs> I, I, I don't believe we can remotely, at the scale that we are at now, it's not, uh, I can't see how we would be able to maintain. It's, it's a very difficult thing. We, we'll try. And uh, trust me, we, we, we will be innovative and we will come up with something and we will change this. But it's going to be a challenge to do the same at this mm -hmm. scale. But um, you know, previously, uh, when we st when when we were now now we've got more than nine branches, like six coming up within the next uh, less than a year and a half, uh, probably. You know, so it's 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 really now a different story. But previously, this I think it's Benjamin Zander you mentioned. I played that video. The the the, the, the I played that video to the salespeople. It's, it's okay. curious that you mentioned Benjamin yeah. Zander because I, I was trying to explain to them and trying to show them what it's like when someone is on fire, when someone has passion yes. and chutzpah yes. uh, yes. and, and a bit of flair, you know, and, yeah. you and, and I say to the salespeople, see if you can somehow just sort of get a little bit of that, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. to live, you know, and to have passion and... and, and, and so that's why I, that's why I believe, believe that you you know you just you just you just spend time with people and you just impart a little bit of the energy, give them a little bit of something, um, and, and and a little bit of warmth and and yeah you you still cannot be everything to everybody. There's still going to be a couple of people staying behind who did not get promoted, and after a while they want to know why, you know, and then you ask them how many books they've. Read. Aha. Uh -huh. That's my next, yeah. And if they haven't read, <laughs> then what do you... It's a, it's a little bit cruel. <laughs> but in any case, you, you get the idea. You do people knock idea. on your door and say, what's, what's my reading, what should my reading list be, Dirk? Because you're, no, 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 you're no, no. a voracious reader. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But now that thing that you mentioned, there, that's called up management. Now, you've you can preach up management to people 
the whole time. And you, you show me who, who, who really executes on that. Very few, very, 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 very few employees would actually really do that. Would ask what reading yeah. list they yeah. could have? If, how, they, if, they, if you were their role model, surely they how, would be how, doing that. How many employees do you think would, from their own accord, go to the next level of management and ask them, what does success look like to me, for, to, to you, for me? They don't do it. They just, they, they, even if you tell them this is what you should do, they, they because people, people is, it's difficult working with people. You can try and teach them something, even, in, even though you, 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 you expect that they understand in principle and, in, and do it in some way, uh, in their own creative way. People are people, and people work as a group together. And it's, it's really difficult to get someone to do something that's not natural for their group. Okay, I'm going to go back to books now. <laughs> give me your favorite book, and I'll give you mine. Oh, my word. All right. Well, we can go with five. You give me one, I'll give you one. You okay. give me one, I'll anti give you one. Anti-fragile. <laughs> anti-fragile. Yeah, Nassim, Nassim Taleb. Okay, I'll go with Fooled by Randomness. Same guy, uh, Nassim Taleb. Right, next. Oh, you know, um, range, and I can't remember who's the author of Car range. Magazine. <laughs> no, um, I think it was, I think it's a David Epstein, if I'm not mistaken, who, who, who wrote the book Range, which is a very important book in my mind. Okay, uh, I'd say Seven Habits of Highly Effective People of Covey. Did you read that? Yes, Covey Junior. Um, no, the Speed of Trust. Aha, Kevin Kevin Jr. There we go. Okay, and I'll give you Outsiders, the book that you got today. Have you read it? By Thorndike. No. Okay, there's a good one. Imported from America, from Amazon, for our speakers, presenters, one of the greatest books out. It, it talks about people like you, the outsiders, the people who think differently, like Stephen, Steve Jobs said. Yeah, yeah. Here's to the pirates, to the misfits, to the oddballs, because they change the world. Ten seconds. Give me your things on, uh, thoughts on this. The blue balls. Oh. <laughs> Don't say who they. <laughs> I, 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 I was sitting uh, next to um, Victor Matfield, and I and I said to him. Uh, this is now coincidence. You're sitting with the one guy that doesn't give a shit about rugby. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, high five. Thank you very much. For once, I can chat to someone who's not going to talk to me about rugby, you know. Kazoo? Um, look, there's, there's many, uh, there, there's quite a few competitions, uh, and they all have their own story, and we've read up on every single one of them. But it is... It's extremely difficult because they block you to access them. Uh, you have to use a, a, a VPN, and, and then you only get the information that you want on the competition in, 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 the, in, in anywhere overseas by subscribing. Uh, so you have to literally pretend to be a customer. Now that we're a listed company or part of a listed company, I can't be. I can't do that. So, 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 so it's difficult for us to, to get all the information on the competition that we want. Also, one of your biggest problems today is that many of your young competition, and this is a difficult conversation, they, they do what I call posturing. 
So they, they aren't necessarily what they portray themselves to be. So if you're asking about competition overseas and what they are doing, uh, there's the dream and then there's the reality. It's the, same, it's the same in AI, it's the same in deep learning and all those things, you know, there's, 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 the, there's the fancy talk and what we want to be and the, the, every, every person that's deeply involved in those territories will tell you that there's, a, there's, 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 there's the ideal and there's, there's the reality. So with the competition it's the same thing. We can tell you exactly which ones you really have to look out for. So Carvana is 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 for real. Uh, what you you know that's that's a genuine serious competition. I think Gozu also, but I can't. Rem I don't know these stats offhand exactly. But um, there there are others that have just. Uh, uh, I must be careful. But uh, I, mean, I I get the story, and it's actually it, it's quite aligned with Warren Buffett's way of when when he invested in companies as a young and well relatively young analyst, because he's in his 90s now, what he used to do was go and talk to the chief executives of five companies in the sector. And he would ask the chief executive, outside of your own company, which other company in the sector would you own shares in? And actually, which other company would you sell short? And it's, that's, that's, I think, what you're saying in a way is that there's some who have a, have a far better uh, PR kind of positioning than the reality thereafter. And I guess that's something we, you only really know if you're in that sector. So as an outsider, how would you know those things? Just homework? Yeah, you have to spend the time. Mm. But I think if you, if, you, if, you, uh, if you look on Reddit, for instance, and you look at the, um, um, again, it's a difficult thing. You know, if you look at the uh, amount of complaints about a certain company, but to put that in perspective, you have to know what the turnover is, because that that uh, if 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 the if, if the amount of complaints is a very small percentage of the total uh, uh, turnover, but like like um, some of the competition that you've just mentioned, I've analysed their, their their complaints, and it's very interesting to see uh, where the complaints lie. So I made the deduction that. They, 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 they really look after a certain kind of client and a certain uh, niche or uh, certain bandwidths of clients and certain other parts of their clients they neglect completely because it's not their, their, their thing. Okay, also back to the 10 seconds, Jim Collins. Jim Collins. I, I love to watch his videos, but I can't remember all of his books. I, I have Good to them. great. Built to last, them, but, but the, yeah. the, we've read them a long time ago. Okay, it's good. It's, the, the the quality of book often is how many times you read it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And Nassim Taleb, uh, certainly fooled by randomness. I think I've read it three times now. Yeah. So that, that's a good book. Jeff Bezos. I don't know nothing about him. He's the Amazon guy, the bold guy. <laughs> the guy who is fighting with Elon Musk about being first to get to Mars. I mean, that's the guy. It's. You're not a, you, you don't have those ambitions. Space. I, you know, I think Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, uh, Jeff Bezos and those guys, I think they are, um, they must be fantastic people, wonderful people. But what really irks, the, irks me a lot is that if you go online and you, 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 you Google uh, top entrepreneurs, top entrepreneurs, who's the top entrepreneur? Elon Musk. No, never, never, never ever Eddie. 
Uh, I mean, we've got wonderful entrepreneurs in the country. Why bother looking at someone like Elon Musk? Why? Why, why, why? It's totally irrelevant. We must look at people like... Uh, um, what's his name? J.P. Alcock? What's his name? G.G. Alcock. You know, oh, okay. those people. That's real entrepreneurs, you know? That's what we must be. Um, Herman Mashaba, he, he, he's a good uh, case in point. Would you vote for him? I don't know if Helen's here. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> No comment. No comment. <laughs> okay. Uh, Steve Jobs. Come on. I mean, there's one guy you've... You, have you read his biography? No. Walter Isaacson? No. Okay, that's another one of my great books. Erasmus High School. <laughs> is, it, is it like in the same league as Newcastle High School? Um, w w when I was at school, I was like a nobody. I was like a ghost. I was the one person that no one... If it weren't for the fact that my mother was one of the teachers, then no one would have known who I am. <laughs> That's the way I prefer it. And frankly, I hated school. I would sit on, on, on the bleachers and look at the traffic going by there on the street, and I would dream about that and think, oh, you know, freedom. And just now the bell is going to ring, and then we, like Pavlov dogs, dogs have to go back to class, you know? So, yeah, and the bell rang, and I sat a little bit longer watching the traffic, <laughs> dreaming of freedom, you know. <laughs> Did your teachers like you? <laughs> no, no. I don't think they knew who I was. <laughs> and you liked it that way? I really, really <laughs> hated school with a passion. Why? My... My grandpa was one of the first 20 M8 students in Tux. So that he was one of the first, uh, well, he was a school principal. But, and my father was a, he was a lot lomiki, my pa. Very lot lomiki. And he had learning problems, my father. And my father and his father didn't get, get along very well because there was a major uh, age difference. My father was a rebel. He, let's not go into that, but um, I think he left school in Standard 8 before he was, uh, yeah, you, know, you must keep in mind, his own father is the principal. And he uh, sorted out two teachers, uh, and then he left. Sorted out? Yeah, I don't want to get into detail. <laughs> okay. Item geblaksop. Yo. So I think, to, to, I think my, my father is a, is a person that's always upstream and difficult, but always with very good reason, and he always thinks for himself, and he's always a rebel, always on a different tangent, always uh, the underdog, always. And, and I, think, I think he has a, a, a deep underlying really good heart at why he wants to be different and always have been different. And there's a lot of pain hidden there. But he's been always being upstream, always different, um, gave us the courage to look at the motor trade industry and to feel that we're going to do our own thing. And we did. Is there a lot of him in you? Yes, certainly, yeah. You know, it's a very interesting point Peter van Ketz was making earlier about spending 72 days on your own and you get to know yourself really well. Do you think you 
know yourself really well? Do you think that matters if, to be a successful business person? Uh, yes, I think it does, absolutely. But I think COVID and everything that happened in COVID and me and my wife and my family self-isolated for uh, 90 days. And uh, I think COVID brought some terrible realizations and stuff, self-knowledge, um, where you, you, you realize you're not nearly as strong as you think you, you were, you're not nearly as rational as you think you were. Um, so yeah, you can go on and on about that, and you can get very personal and all, all, everything that goes along with all, all of that. Have you got a role model? Um, role models? <laughs> I, I, I probably have quite a few, but if you, if you put me on a spot and ask me which one way, I, I, I really, really adore, I, I really l love Nassim Taleb, but today uh, there's a hell of a lot of things that I don't agree with him, um, and so you can go on. But yeah, I've got I've got a I've got a couple of people that I that I f follow. But off the top of my head, right now, it's difficult to 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 to, to isolate a very specific person. There's there's obviously many many people that I uh, appreciate for many different uh, uh, reasons. But it's hard for me to say, uh, uh, you know, to mention a very very specific. Myself, I I love Tim Noakes. I love Tim Noakes to bits. Why? Because he's a rebel. A rebel with a cause, and I think he's right, and and he's a gentleman, um, and he's prepared to say when he was wrong, which I, is a very rare quality. That is the most important thing that I think people, and this is the thing that my my father also is uh, very strong on that point that you you, ha you have to you have to be able to just admit when you're wrong. If you're wrong, you're wrong. It's as easy as that. If you, when we are wrong, we promptly admit it. Well, thank you. We said 45 minutes. We've got there now. Thank you, Dirk. It's been such a privilege. Thank you so much.